1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 168 of So You Want to Be a Writer. In today's minisode, I'm flying solo and of course, missing my usual co-host, Alison Tate. Today, we have a real treat for you, an interview with the wonderful Pamela Hart, who also writes under the name Pamela Freeman. She is author of countless books. Okay, well, not countless, but well over 30 books in a variety of genres. Now, Pamela has written picture books adult books, fantasy, and most recently has had huge success under the name Pamela Hart with historical fiction. Now, we've interviewed Pamela before upon release of her last book, The War Bride, but she always has fresh, new, and interesting things to say about the creative process, and her latest book is A Letter to Italy. Pamela is one person where Whenever I talk to her, I would learn something new. So, of course, I try to find lots of excuses to talk to her. She's also the Director of Creative Writing at the Australian Writers' Centre and brings her unique blend of wisdom, experience and wit to all of her classes. Her students, who she teaches both online and in the classroom, love her. And I'm sure that you'll enjoy this interview with the one and only Pamela Hart. Thanks so much for joining us today, Pamela. Pleasure to be with you, Val. Now, A Letter from Italy. Oh, what a wonderful read. Just, oh, you know, I just I just love it, love it, love it, love it. Now, not everyone has had a chance to read it, so perhaps you can tell listeners um, what the book is about. Well, it's
0: about one of the first women war correspondents, Um Most people don't know that the very first woman war correspondent was an Australian woman, Louise Mack, and it's been inspired by her, although it's not about her. My character is Rebecca, um, who comes with her husband, who's also a journalist, um, to Italy to report on the Australian Navy's involvement in the blockade of the Adriatic Sea uh, to stop Austrian submarines getting through into the Mediterranean. And again, that's something most people don't know it even happened in World War One. Mm. Um, and um, over the course of the book, her husband goes off to follow a story about Albanian smugglers. And she's left to be a war correspondent on her own, facing a lot of prejudice from um, the various authorities and other journalists. Uh, And she joins forces with an Italian-American photographer, Alessandro Panucci, Mm -hmm. and they work together to to put the stories together. And then, of course, you know, working so closely together and her husband actually not being as nice a person as she thought when she first married him,
1: um, there is a bit of a love story that develops there. And what made you think of this premise for for, for this book?
0: When I was researching The Soldier's Wife, which was my first historical novel, I kept reading these editorials. I used to read the newspapers of the time. It's the best way of getting a feel for what's going Mm. on in the period you're writing about. Mm. And in the Herald, Sydney Morning Herald, um, they had the women's pages on Wednesday and the editor of the women's pages would write an editorial and I would read these editorials and they were so feminist. They were so modern mm. in, in thinking, you know, about how women needed an independent income and um, how girls need to be encouraged to work and not just, you know, lie around looking pretty – And I got very interested in who that was, because they're not signed, then they don't have a byline. And it turns out that it was Louise Mack, who um, was originally, when war broke out in 1914, she was in England reporting for the Evening News and the Daily Mail, and she actually went behind enemy lines in Belgium to report on Germany's invasion of Belgium, and when I realised that, I found out that, you know, through other research, just kind of going, who is this woman? Who is this mm. woman who writes this extraordinary stuff? And it turned out to be her. And so I always had tucked in the back of my mind the idea of a woman war correspondent as being a great character to have. Yes, absolutely. And I was talking to a friend of mine who used to walk, work at the uh, War Memorial in Canberra about wanting to write about the Navy because the Navy's story is not one that's told World mm-hmm. War One. our World War One stories are all about Gallipoli and France. Mm. And we hardly ever hear about the Navy. Um, mm. And yet the Australian Navy did a great deal in World War One. And when I said to her, oh, I'd really like to, you know, have some story about the Navy in one of these books, she said, oh, the Otranto Barrage, that's what you should write about. And that's this blockade of the Adriatic Sea. Um, and they had four flotillas there. They had the Italian, the French and the British. And nobody could get on, Um, they kept fighting amongst themselves and refusing to go out on patrol at night and all sorts of things until the Australians arrived. And William Warren, who was the commander of the Australian flotilla, he basically bashed them all into shape and got it working. Mm. So it's quite a story. Um, And uh, putting those two elements together is where I got the book from.
1: Yeah. Now, when you, as soon as you start reading this book, I mean, so it's set in Italy. So before I actually start going on with the story, I just want to actually explore what did you have to do to get into the mindset of war in Italy? (laughs) You know, during yeah. that period and well, obviously that speak Italian, so
0: that's really hard because normally when I do historical research, I read the contemporary accounts.
1: Mm.
0: Um, so what I was doing was reading the British correspondence contemporary accounts. So there were quite a few British journalists in Italy at the time, right. um, including a man who has the wonderful name Percy Gibbon, who, mm-hmm. um, I just, I got to, I got to work him in somewhere in some <laughs> future <laughs> novel. Um, so I was reading a lot of the contemporary accounts of what was going on, and um, came across some fantastic characters like Luigi Rizzo who is the Italian naval hero that's in the book. Mm. Um, and he was a real person, and so was his his wife, Sabina. And she was also a hero, it turned out. So wherever possible, you go to the original accounts, the contemporary accounts about what's going on. But I also had a, a great deal of help from the chief naval historian, um, John Perryman, Right. Who's fantastically helpful. So, you know, I would be looking, he supplied me, a whole lot of books and stuff. And when I had a problem in research that I couldn't solve myself, he was he was there to help me and he was fantastic, just wonderful. Um, so uh, the Navy likes it when you tell their story mm. because nobody else does. Right, So Jeez. they were really helpful to me.
1: So did you do a lot of the research first or did you research as you went along? How did that all work? I did the research on the naval
0: stuff first Mm -hmm. um, because I had to get the dates right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I had to decide exactly when she arrived and when everything happened. And I had a particular, as you know, having read the book, there's a particular event that ends is the story that she goes after at towards the end of the book. And so I knew I had to finish then, Um, and that that particular event happened on. Oh, the the night of December 9th and the morning of December 10th. Mm. So I knew that that was my end point. And the beginning point was when the Australian naval flotilla first arrived in Italy. And so that gave me the scope of the book. Um, Mm. And I had to get all the dates and the weather, because the weather is very important because Mm. of the naval stuff. Mm. Um, I had to get all that sorted before I started thinking about the relationships
1: and and the storyline. Wow. But how did you get that sorted? Do you ha- put it all in a big document? Do you have a timeline, index cards? How do you actually arrange that information so that you can then, you know, you have that framework? Um, it's in my head. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> really? It's only six weeks. It's only like two months all up. The, the whole thing only takes over two months, so it's mm-hmm. not a huge, you know. Um, but still. But – um it's not just the timeline though pamela it's also all of the details that you would have before i write a scene i go back and look at my research documents right
0: so before i wrote the scene about the orione um where the australian flotilla saves an italian ship there's Mm -hmm. a chapter about that in a particular book so before i wrote that scene i went back and i reread that chapter
1: Right,
0: right. To make sure I get people's names right, to make sure I get the details, the timeline and that sort of thing right. Mm. Uh, Because when you're writing about real people, these are real men who did this stuff in reality. All the naval people just about in the story are real people. So um, except the horrible lieutenant I made him up. Mm. But. uh, (laughs) but everybody else is real and so you have a responsibility to get it all right Um, before I wrote a specific scene I'd refresh my
1: memory from my research material so literally from the first page it unfolds and you just want it to keep unfolding and so do you um what am I trying to say? It, it unfolds in such a way that makes it so compelling and page-turning. Do you um, plan that out, or do you like plan out what's going to happen, as in plot it out, or do you let it unfold as you start writing?
0: I do about half and half. Okay. I know where I'm going. I mean, I know what the end is, and and this mm. is also when you've got this timeline, this actual timeline of mm. things. That um. So this book went through a lot of rewriting. Mm. Um, Originally, her husband was dead. Mm. And in between the first structural edit and the second structural edit, we decided he should still be alive. And obviously, a book's going to be very different, particularly a a book where somebody falls in love. Yes. Um, Very different when the husband is alive to when the husband is dead. Mm. And so Mm. the whole book got rewritten. And wow. it changed where the narrative tension lay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's two, two lots of narrative tension in this book. One is, will Rebecca succeed as a journalist? Mm. And that builds over time where, you know, can she write this get the stories written? Will her editor accept them? Will he like them? And and towards the end, will she lose her job altogether? Mm. Um The other narrative tension is the relationship with Sandro. And it starts out, they don't actually like each other very much. No. Uh, And then they have a period of getting to know each other and then they like each other and then maybe they like each other too much. (laughs) And so when you've got the two uh, kind of roads, almost like you plait them together, they're like ribbons that you plait together.
1: Mm.
0: And um, ideally those two things keep pace with each other.
1: Mm.
0: And... Even more ideally, they generate each other. So wherever you can link the idea of the relationship with the idea of um, her professional career, yep. the better it is for the story. And that's that's how you keep your pace happening. Mm. Uh, and I, I have a quite a low boredom threshold, which I think mm. is quite good for a writer, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I do have a tendency to move things on. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and. I think in a, you know, it's not a small book. It's Mm. about 96,000 words. Mm -hmm. Um, When it's a book like that, you do have to really try hard to keep your readers' interest. Because once they put it down, you kind of lose them. Um, So there's always a
1: reason to turn the page. Yeah, there is. There there, there always is. So when you realise, oh, I think I'm going to have to, rewrite this thing mm-hmm. was it just you know a matter of fact or did you have a did you go oh my god no you know um I was having
0: an editorial meeting with my editor mm-hmm. and we were discussing what I had done with the first draft and I had made some changes from the original proposal and she was kind of going why did you do that and I was mm-hmm. explaining why and this is my problem and if I change it back which is what she would have preferred. This is the problem. And she went, yes, I can see that's the problem. And she was the one who said, what if her husband's still alive? Mm. And I went, oh, you bitch, that's going to work, isn't it? Uh. <laughs> so uh, because it is a lot of work. But if you're a professional writer, you, you have to do the work. I mean, that's what it's all about. The, yes. the, the number of drafts, um, having the opportunity to do the draft is luxury. Mm. Uh, when you're a book a year author, you don't get to do as many drafts as mm-hmm. as you would like. You know, I'd be I would have been quite happy to do another two drafts of a letter from Italy, mm-hmm. um, but you have to learn to make every draft count as much yeah. as you can, and so um, you have to be prepared to be radical. You have to th- be prepared to throw things away. Um, to completely change storylines, to cut out characters, um, Mm. which I did, um, you know, so to change who does what um, and that being prepared to do that, being prepared, um, and it's not a question of being influenced by other people. The reason I did it was because I could see that she was right, you know, Mm. Felt immediately that yes, of course, that would make it a much stronger book. Yeah. And so w- once you understand that, once you know that it, you can make the book stronger, mm-hmm. you have to do it. You know, <laughs> you couldn't not do it in a way. But are you excited to do it, or um, what was the feeling? Well, it's exciting to see all the possibilities open up. Right. But the work can be daunting, and mm. um, particularly if it was a, hot, a tight deadline. Yes. Uh, And, you know, this particular book was happening at a time when various things were happening in my personal life, which were difficult. Mm. Mm. So there were occasions when I stared at the screen and thought, I really don't want to do this. Right. But the the end result is always worth it. Yes. Um, When you finish it and know that the book is better than it was before. Yeah. This particular one, though, it's probably the hardest I've written in a decade. Really? Um, Yeah. Hardest to get a handle. I just think life, my life was going through bizarre things. Also, Mm -hmm. the idea for it hadn't cooked as long as it usually does. So I usually think about a story for a couple of years before I write
1: it. Right,
0: yeah. And in this case, it was a kind of new idea that we we moved on straight away. And um, so it hadn't had time to kind of percolate in my subconscious for very long. Yeah. Yeah. uh, so you kind of have to pressure cook it a bit, and um, and then I got to some sometimes when you really work hard on something and you change it radically, you mm. lose your sense of whether it's any good or not.
1: <laughs> so
0: if if I had had reviews of this book going, this is a terrible book, I would have yeah. gone, oh well, yeah, okay, I would have believed them right. because I didn't mm. really have any sense of its quality. I didn't know if it was working or not. Um, And the last, it's funny because the last time that happened to me, well, as you know, the reviews have been fantastic, you know, Mm, brilliant. mm, mm. Um, And the last time that happened to me was a children's book I wrote as Pamela Freeman. Yeah. And got shortlisted for the Premier's Literary Award. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've kind of given up on thinking I know whether a book's any good. You know, (laughs) uh, you just do
1: the best you can and hope that people like it. So you've written a billion books now. Well, not a billion, but, you know. 33, yeah, okay. (laughs) And more recently, historical fiction. Yeah. The Soldier's Wife and the War Bride and now A Letter from Italy. Uh, What do you – What do you enjoy most about writing historical fiction?
0: I think there's two things. I am a bit of a research junkie. Yeah. Nothing makes me happier than being given a topic and sent off to research it. That's what I used to do for a living. I used to be a researcher at the ABC. And um, so the danger there is you do too much research and not enough writing. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, I guess – this is my cultural background that I write about. Mm. So I am um, sixth generation Australian
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the the world that I write about is the world that produced my grandparents and parents. Mm. And I'm interested in that. I'm interested in where I came from. The original book, The Soldier's Wife, was based on my grandfather's experiences at Gallipoli and, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I'm kind of interested in that idea of, well, where has this country come from and what influences were on it a century ago? Mm. Uh, and, you know, we, we can see connections all the way through uh, when we look at, say, Pauline Hanson. Mm. She, she should have been right there voting for the White Australia policy, you mm-hmm. know. Mm. Um, you can see these elements in contemporary society emerging, particularly around World War One and post-World War One, mm. um, which is when the modern Australia emerges. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm just interested in where we've come from.
1: Mm. Now, you say that you're a research junkie, and I know that about you. And the thing is, when I read your books, well, your historical fiction books, you you I'm essentially carried away with the story and that's the page-turning aspect but then by the end of the book or even halfway through the book I realize that I've learned so much about well about where whatever it's about so you know mm-hmm. last in the last book I learned so much about Sydney that I did not know about and um, this time it's it's a slightly different setting but you know it's you learn so much do you ever feel and, and but it never feels like um, I'm being rammed with information in any way. Mm. Everything You have is... to thank my editors for that. So, yeah, my question <laughs> with that then no, – and honestly, it, it's just – No, like...
0: honestly, I mean some of it, yes, it's me, but in that, this book, for example mm. – my editors came back to me and said, I really don't think our readers will be that interested in the naval stuff that you've got in right. here. Right, interesting. So I, I had, I mean, not a huge amount. Right. We only took a paragraph here and a paragraph okay. there. But there was more naval information in there. Right. Um, and because you don't really get a perspective on it yourself. Um, you know, Especially you have- if you're a research junkie yourself because. Yes, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and people, and, and you know, <laughs> my editor would go, oh, well, I don't think this is all particularly interesting. And I'd go, oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I take their advice. that's, yeah, that's sure. What uh, so this one I think in particular, um, there was more that got taken out than normal. Right. Uh, but because, you know, there was a lot of information about, the Navy that I acquired, um, and I found all of it fascinating, but <laughs> you, you know, not everybody did. So, um, but yes, I think that's, my editors are there to make sure I don't overwhelm people with information. Okay. And the other thing is that part of the skill of a historical writer is um, doing exposition based on research mm. in a way that is important to the character.
1: mm yeah so,
0: so, most of the stuff that you would have learnt about whatever was going on is because Rebecca needs to know it, yeah, yeah, um, and I think that's the big distinction. Does the character need this information? Um If they do, then you can give it to the reader, and the reader will accept it without blinking. Mm. If the character doesn't need to know it, then it doesn't need to be in the book,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. So you have written many books under the name of Pamela Freeman and your more recent books, the historical fiction, are under the name Pamela Hart. Can you tell listeners why the distinction? Um, My publisher's Hachette and they also publish Pamela
0: Freeman's epic fantasy Right, Mm -hmm. so as Pamela Freeman, I wrote um, four epic fantasy novels and when they were selling those into bookshops, they discovered that booksellers think of me as a children's writer, think of Pamela Freeman as a children's writer Mm -hmm. Um, because I have a long list of children's titles. Yeah. And so when The Soldier's Wife's very much an adult book Mm. um, and they felt that it needed to be branded as an adult writer. Yes. Uh, and Hart is my married name. Yes. So, you know, it's my husband's name. It's not a name I've ever used, but I have a right to it. Mm. And uh, it also allows me to still be Pamela Freeman. You know, I don't have to pretend to be a completely yes. new person. And yes. I quite like it as a name for an historical <laughs> novelist. I think Pamela Hart's quite a nice
1: name, really. It's a and great my name. happy. Yes, I bet. So when you are Pamela Hart, when you are writing as Pamela Hart, do you do anything different than compared to when you're writing, say, for children or the other genres? Do you get into a different mindset or anything? Um, I think so, yes, I do, because – when you write,
0: it's writing for adults versus writing for children rather than Pamela Hart, Pamela Freeman, I think, um, because it was the same when I was writing the right. fantasy novels. Um, children are not all that interested in reflection. In reflection. Reflection. So bits of of, of the story where somebody thinks about what's happened.
1: Right, right.
0: Um, and worries and wonders. And, and you, you can have some of that. But generally, children have a low tolerance for it. And mm. so it was something I had to learn to do when mm. I started to write for adults. Um, and, and that's definitely a kind of a switch that you throw in a way. Mm. But mostly, it's about character. Um, when I'm a child, when I'm writing for children, I'm being a child because I'm writing from a child character's point of view, generally speaking. Mm, mm. And so the main shift is whose mind am I in and whose mm. body am I in? And that's the big difference. It's, it's not really about uh, readership even. It's about who is your character, who is the point of view that you're writing through, mm. um, because that dictates everything. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so, I love that. It's not about readership. That's, that's no, exactly it's not. Right. It's about mm. your point of view character, really very much about your point of view character. Mm. Yeah. So are you now working on your next historical novel? I am. I am. I've just begun it recently. It's called Lanterns on the
0: Nile, and it mm-hmm. will be set mostly in Cairo during World War One. It'll go over the whole war. And the Where main did you character, that? <laughs> well, because mainly because it's the centenary next year. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, and so I felt like, well, I'm writing about World War One, but now we're in we're going to be in the centenary of the Armistice. Mm. I want to have a look at the whole war. And so the character is a nurse, mm. uh, Evelyn Northey, um, a country girl from Tari, mm-hmm. and somebody who wants to be a doctor, but mm-hmm. whose father doesn't believe women should be doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't believe women should give orders to men. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, university being as expensive as it is, um, she can't actually go. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has money coming to her when she's 30, but she loses it. I mean, she if she marries, she gets it straight away, but it goes directly under the control of her husband because that's what the law was at the time. Mm. Um, or she has to wait until she's 30. And so in the meantime, she becomes a nurse. Mm -hmm. and um, goes off and is determined never to marry (laughs) for she will not have a man have control over her life in the way that her father has had control over her. Mm, And my other main character is William, who is a doctor, Um, William Clark, who has had polio as a child and has a withered right leg. Um, and therefore can't be accepted into the army, mm-hmm. but goes to Cairo to help anyway. And in the aftermath of Gallipoli, they took any help they could get, whether you're in the army or not. Mm. Um, so that that's how they start working together. And he he believes he shouldn't get married because he's not fit to marry because he's a cripple.
1: Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. When's he's going to be out? Next year. Mm-hmm. This time next year. Yep. Cool. Now, you, as you mentioned, you're like a book a year author and your books have generally come out around about the same time um, during Day. the year, Yet for Mother's yep. Day. Can you just give us a snapshot of what your year looks like? You know, January, February, I'm writing this, this, and then yep. I'm editing this. You know what I mean? Just to yep. just look at the yearly routine, in effect, sure. of a book a year author. So um, my...
0: Deadline this year is the end of May. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I should have a first draft. Now, I'm running late because I was sick during January, but I'm hoping to get it done very close to the end of May. Mm -hmm. It then goes off for about six weeks and gets structurally edited. Mm. Um, And quite often, because of the way the book a year thing works, quite often I'm doing promotional work for the last book during that period. Um, And I'm also researching the new book whatever the next book will be I'll start the research process during the structural edit of the current book right. so you that takes about six weeks to get it structurally edited then it comes back to you and you do a redraft and normally you have about a month to do that mm-hmm. six weeks if you're lucky mm-hmm. if it's up to if that edit is up to scratch and it may not be as you know, quite often you'll do more than one structural edit. Yeah. Um, then if it's up to scratch, then you go to uh, copy edit and that takes – they usually take a couple of weeks to do that and then it comes back to you for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, maybe three three or four weeks if you're lucky. And then it goes to copy edit uh, – sorry, to uh, proofreading. Yeah. And it comes back to you and you usually have um, – a week or so to turn that around.
1: And usually and,
0: what month is this now about, say? Um, we're about uh, October now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of October. And the reason it, that you try and get everything done by then mm-hmm. is so you can get advanced reading copies, book proofs out yep. to booksellers before the Christmas holidays. So mm-hmm. the the once the book is copy edited, mm. it will go to... Um, the printer, even before it's proof proofread, it will go as an uncorrected proof, yeah. and they if they if the publisher likes you and wants to promote your work, they will mm-hmm. make proof copies yeah. to go out to booksellers and uh, what they call influencers. Yes, yeah. um, and and in particular to the big buyers like Big W and Kmart and Target and those sorts yep. of people, um, and Leading Edge, the independent booksellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the idea is that people have the book to read over their summer holidays so that they can order it early in the new year to mm-hmm. be delivered in March.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, um, so by the time, um, by the time I've done the proofing mm-hmm. and sent it back, I'm well into the research for the new book.
1: Okay, so this is like November now, October. November, November. yeah. yeah November. Now, in,
0: mm-hmm. somewhere in there, I may also have written a children's book. <laughs> I love how you just snuck that in. <laughs> um, so, so much shorter. You know, and, yeah. and it's possible to write one, particularly because some of the books I write are non-fiction. Yeah. And so you could work on them even while you, you can't work on two fiction books at the same time, but you can work on one fiction and one non-fiction book at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, quite Wait, I often. I mean, just, why, why do you say that you can't work at two fiction books well, I at can't. the same time? Yeah, um, okay. I just
0: find they they take up a particular spot in my head. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I can't shoehorn two in sure. at the same time. But nonfiction takes up a different spot in my head, so yes. that's fine, I can do that. Really? Um, and I love doing nonfiction picture books. Yes. So my, my most recent one, Desert Lake, um, mm-hmm. with Liz and Nelly, we've just pitched a new one to our publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully next year I'll be working on that, That or this year, later this year I'll be working on that, which would be fantastic. Um, yeah, so I do try to keep up my Pamela Freeman Life as well as, well as mm-hmm. my Pamela Hart life.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all and right. Of so you <laughs> yes, at the Australian Writers Centre. You're a director of creative writing, and everyone absolutely adores your classes, oh, especially you. the um, Write Your Novel six month program, which is also available online. Um, now you <laughs> you fit in children's books. So now we're in January. Yep. When do you so, start writing? Oh, I start in January. Okay.
0: Yeah, I start. Um, I mean, I might start depends on how much research there is to do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and also it depends on how settled I am. When when people say when do you start writing, I think mm-hmm. it's a bit of a it's a bit misleading mm-hmm.
1: because I do a lot of work on the book before I actually sit down to write a scene. Okay.
0: So I will spend a lot of time thinking. About yes. the characters in particular, about their background, about where they come from, yeah. what kind of people they are, how they talk, how they dress. Um, uh, I know a lot about my people before I start to write the first scene.
1: Do you write down what you think about for of, about your people? No. You keep it all in your head. Yeah. I just don't <laughs> know how I would forget. Well, no, no, let me let me. Clarify that.
0: Um, I have at the moment a lot of information about Tari. So um, I've done a lot of research on Tari at the time, who was in the hospital there, how big it was, what kind of house she might have lived in. Uh, And I've got all I've got those files on my computer, and if I need to go look at them, I do. Mm -hmm. But in, in terms of what I know about Evelyn. That's in my head because it's like getting right. to know a friend. You don't keep notes on your friends.
1: <laughs> you I remember so.
0: about them, it. And yeah, it's exactly the same. I mean, it's I think of it as like, you know, how mm-hmm. you get to know a character on a TV series. Mm-hmm. Your favourite TV series, you could tell me all about that character. Mm-hmm. You know, you could tell me about when they met their current partner and what their crisis was, and you you could tell me all of that kind of stuff about them. It's exactly the same process.
1: Mm, mm, The characters
0: mm. just take up a similar kind of space in your head Mm -hmm. as a character Mm -hmm. on a TV series would. Okay. And I I don't see why I would write anything down. Now, having said that, that's Mm. just me. I know a lot of writers who keep Bibles about their people. Yeah. Uh, I know writers who keep, you know, huge scrapbooks of information, yeah, um, and and I think also, you're quite often you know a lot about your main characters. You might need to keep information about their uh, the minor characters. So I've got to list mm-hmm. some yes. of their brothers, for example, yeah, how old they are compared to her, yeah. um, but your main character, no, your main character, you just get to know. Like you yes. get to know a real person, mm, for, me, mm. for me anyway. Sure. Um,
1: because I, I do put a lot of time into thinking about them. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So you're writing in January and then what happens? I just keep writing until it's finished. <laughs> when do you need to finish it by generally? <laughs> End of May. End of May. The draft has to be. Now, I'd yeah, like, I okay. prefer to give And then the cycle starts again and the cycle starts again. I prefer to
0: give my publisher a second draft, but mm. this year I won't be able to do that because I was ill. Right, okay. So then I would like to i try to finish it early May, the mm. first draft, and give it to my husband to read
1: mm.
0: um, and put it away for a week and then read it myself and do a second draft.
1: Mm. When you before you started writing historical fiction, which was two books ago, um, what and you decided? Okay, I you had the idea for the soldier's wife, and you decided, oh, I think I might want to write this, and it's a departure from the genre that people expect of me. Was it even though you had a very clear idea of what you wanted to write? Was it difficult? To yes. Make the transition. Can you tell, it was tell us? Was really a bit about that? really hard. I didn't know what I was doing. Right. What tell, uh, tell us why it was hard?
0: Um. Well, the first thing was I didn't know how long it should be, and in my head, the book mm-hmm. always has a shape based mm-hmm. on how long it is. Mm. Um. So I had to find that out first. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I got to about 60,000 words and I thought, I don't know how long, I don't know what my pace should be at this point because I don't know how long it should be. Mm -hmm. So I rang my old editor and said, how long should it be? Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing was that um, I'm I'm used to writing long novels in which magic stuff happens. (laughs) (laughs) And if things are getting boring... I have yeah. some magic happen, right? Yeah. Okay. Whereas all I had to work with here was reality, yeah, and that well. was harder. That was harder. Yeah. Um. And the other, I know this is going to sound so twee, mm-hmm. but the second half of the Soldier's Wife is about a The the soldier comes home from Gallipoli, mm-hmm. wounded, mm-hmm. and finds that his wife has become. A professional woman because she had to work while he was away and their marriage has difficulties really you know quite quite strong difficulties and I found that really hard to write because my husband and I don't fight (laughs) Ah. (laughs) it's like you know hearts and flowers and unicorns but it's true. And, um, what a so, bizarre yeah. problem to have. Yeah. And so I had to really I had I had to work hard at getting into the head of somebody. Yeah, right. And feelings and particularly because Jimmy wasn't my point of view character, this only yeah. Ruby's point of view. Yeah. And so, you know, and because there was a lot of, you know, the sexism of the time and yeah. and his idea of what masculinity was and and yeah. so the real problem was that with all of that I found it hard to like him. Yeah, right. But She was in love with him and so mm. I had to find a way to be in love with him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah. my major issue. My major problem was finding a way to be in love with Jimmy yeah. when Jimmy wasn't nice to her.
1: Yeah, right. Okay. Wow, that's i never really thought of that. <laughs> and apart from the diffi- the challenges that you had in transitioning to writing historical fiction, were there challenges in um, publishing historical fiction because what, people had so clothes? known you as, as yeah. other things? Yeah. Yeah, I was very, My my agent refused to represent me on it.
0: She didn't like it at all. Mm. And that was very challenging, as you can imagine. We'd been together Mm. for 20 years. And so to have your agent go, well, I just don't think it's any good. Oh, my God. I tell you what, Val, it it made me much more sympathetic to our students Mm. because I really felt like I was starting from scratch. I felt like I'd never written a book before. Mm. I didn't know what I was doing. I was writing it on spec. It was the first book I'd written without a contract for 15 years. Mm. And... I, it really did, I just felt like I didn't know what I was doing. And so having an a, my agent, who had always been a really good reader for me, come back yeah. and say, I don't like it, was a real slap in the face, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. Fortunately, that editor that I had rung to say how mm. long should it be, when I said to her how long should a historical novel be, she said, why, what have you got? And she was really eager to read it. Right. And so I... I was very fortunate that I had, even though I wasn't agented on this particular book, mm. um, that I had a publisher who was prepared to read it.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, and she fortunately loved it. So did you? When your agent said that, did you like? Did was it a real? Filled up in a little it, ball and wanted to die. Yeah, so it was you like know, devastating. Uh, devastating. Oh absolutely. My
0: God, yeah. And it was only because oh other people God. had read it. You know, I had had my husband had read it, and mm. he's quite tough on things. Mm. Uh, I could trust him. You know yeah. his opinion of things, and I also had a couple of other people um, read it, and they came back and went, uh, other writers, and they went came back and went, she's mad, don't be ridiculous, this is terrific. Yeah, if yeah. if hadn't had that support, I'm not even sure I would have shown it to the publisher. Wow. Well, because good I thing can't,
1: it's
0: you, know, you, you. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you try you try uh, something new, but you can't guarantee it's going to work. No. And, and every creative person, deep down, believes their work is terrible. Mm. Um, you know, there's always that fear that yep. this time it's awful.
1: Yeah. And
0: particularly when you're trying something new. New. Yeah. Um,
1: so – so did you think that – so a good thing that you, you did all of that because obviously it set you down this path. And after The Soldier's Wife, which was very successful, came The War Bride, which was also successful, and now this. Amazing. So obviously you've got, you're have got you going down the right path. Mm. Did At the time, did you think that you would be where you are now? No. Well, I wrote the
0: book, The Soldier's Wife book, because the book wanted to be written.
1: Mm.
0: It was one of those – things that just happened. I didn't write it because I thought I should change genres or because oh it's World War One, I should get a book out about World War One. No, it was um it was just the book demanded to be written in the way that books do sometimes. And I was lucky in that as I did the research, I kept coming across true facts where I went, oh God, that's such a great story. I've got to write that story. And so, wow. um, the fact that we have this whole series of books is really just because the research keeps uncovering fantastic stories. Right. Wow. Um, so I had no plan. I had no, mm. I had no kind of I shall become a historical novelist. You know, no. Mm. I just there was just a book that needed to be written. Yeah, really? um, and typically, in in my practice of writing, I've just written whatever I felt like. Yes. Which is a great luxury, which is why, you know, my children's books, um, the people who know about them are librarians and booksellers. Mm-hmm. I'm not a household name even though there's a lot of books out there because I write a lot of different kinds of books. Mm-hmm. And the people who get known are the people who write the same kind of book a lot. Right, right. Um, and so I've just written whatever I felt like. Mm. Uh, and that's been great as, a, as an artist but not yeah. so great in terms of building a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and and writing The Soldier's Wife just felt like another one of those. Oh, well, I'll write something different this time because yeah, I feel right. like it. Um, and then Hachette kind of said, well, we'd like to give you a two-book contract this time mm. for mm. War Pride and letter, a letter from Italy. Mm. And so I went, yeah, okay, I've got two ideas, you know, let's <laughs> do it. Um, mm. um, and that. Well, we did Warbright sorry, we did Warbright as a single contract, and then we've done yep. A Letter from Italy and Lanterns on the Nile as a two-book contract. Right. And so w- then you've got four books out, and you think, or four, four books in train. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I actually am a historical novelist. <laughs> right. Um. Yep. Rather than someone who wrote a historical novel. Yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah, and and Hachette have been very supportive. Um, mm. Really terrific. And what? It, It's in the UK as well,
1: too. It's in in where? uh, Piatkas in the UK also published them. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Piatkas. And what would your, finally, what would your advice be to people who, you know, you have written 33 books and a lot of people who are listening haven't (laughs) written their first one yet or maybe they've written but it's not published or whatever. They're at the start of their journey and they might seem – daunted by the fact yeah. that there's thirty three books or you know like oh she she knows what she's doing kind of thing can you cast your mind back and try and put yourself into this you know the shoes that these people are in and what advice would you give them on what they should do to um, to get their work out there? Sure
0: well, the very first thing is to read mm. to read as widely as possible um and that's particularly true if you're interested in writing children's books because the number one mistake people make with kids' books is that they write books they would have read when they were children, but the world yep. has moved on. Yep. So they need to be reading contemporary children's novels or picture books or whatever it is that they want to read, want to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so read widely, not only in your own genre, but but in everything, just to see what's happening in publishing and, and how styles have changed. Yep. Um and the second and I know it's going to sound basic but you just got to write the book you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean I can't tell you the number of people who say to me oh I'd love to have a book published one day or I'd love I'd love to write a book one day and you go have you written anything? Oh, no. Uh, That's not going to happen unless you actually write the book. All right. Um, so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so right, You've got to write. You've got to write, write. You've got to give it priority. You've got to say, I am committing to the idea of writing a novel. Yeah. And that means you've got to figure out where you can find the time to write the novel. Yeah. And after that, you've got to understand that it's a long process. Novels are complicated. They're long. And typically, it will take two years from first yep. putting key, fingers on keyboard to getting to a point where you might submit. Mm-hmm. And that's only if you are working consistently at it. Yeah. So, if you're prepared for that, if you're prepared to do the hard work, it's mm-hmm. just a question of doing it, of trusting your instincts, yep. of trusting your desire to tell the story, and then of getting advice. So when you finish writing, get people to read it who are who know what they're talking about. And yep. that's where the workshopping classes are so useful. I'm a yep. big, big believer in workshopping. Yeah, yeah. And if is you it? don't know enough, if you read books or you hear people talking about writing mm. and you think, I have no idea what point of view is or what yep. a, you know, then you need to find out. Yes. Um, And, you know, do your research, go to classes, join a group, whatever, Mm. to improve your skills.
1: Wonderful. And on that note, thank you so much for joining us today, Pamela. A a letter from Italy, awesome book. Everyone, go and read it because you're absolutely going to love it. So thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks, Val. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's mini-sode, and we will be back to our regular programming very soon. This is Valerie Ku and of course, you can find all of the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au. And if you want to check out some of Pamela's courses, then make sure you have a look at writercenter.com.au. In the meantime, we look forward to chatting to you next time.